Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is an RNZ podcast. Kate Fakaronga mai kwekito tato el horihori. He hotaka e paniki a papa tuanuku, tangaroa, meirangi nui. I'm Alison Balance, and you're with Our Changing World on RNZ. Now it's time for a bit of eavesdropping in the tropics. Giacomo Gioli is a marine acoustician at Niwa, working on sounds in the sea. Before he came to New Zealand, he did some work on coral reefs in Hawaii with Lauren and Simon Freeman. They're a husband and wife team of oceanographers who work for the United States Navy. I caught up with them on Skype to find out about noisy seaweeds and their role in underwater soundscapes. A coral reef creates a lot of sounds, and we refer to the cacophony as a soundscape. And You have a soundscape in a forest, you have soundscapes in the city, and a coral reef soundscape is is quite similar to both of those. Uh, It's a very busy and bustling place with many animals and plants. Most of the sounds that these animals make are what we call transient, so like pings, pops, clicks, and many thousands of those together uh, combine to form the coral reef soundscape. Superficially, if you just listen to it when you go snorkeling, for example, it almost sounds like rain. Uh, And rain is a bunch of transients, so each droplet makes a sort of short sound. But on a coral reef, what's very special is that each transient conveys information about its producer. So the frequencies in each sound, the duration, the rise time and fall time, all of those pieces of information give us evidence for what the sound producer may be, what it might be doing, and its characteristics. It must be incredibly challenging to try to work out then what is making all these individual sounds because I'm thinking that I can go into a forest and I can see the trees blowing in the wind, I can see a bird sitting on a branch over there, there's a deer barking in the distance. I can can match what those sounds are with what's producing those sounds That must be much more challenging in a coral reef, A, because you're underwater, and B, you're dealing with such a vast number of species. That's true. And in addition, you have a confounder on a coral reef where you have one animal that produces sound that is much louder than everyone else, and that is the snapping shrimp. But there are still other sounds that you can hear. And while they are confusing, uh, there are some general rules that we can follow. For example, the lower frequency a sound, the longer the wavelength, and roughly speaking, the larger the animal has to be to produce a sound of that wavelength. So Lauren published a paper in 2016 where one of the findings was that when you have a healthy reef with larger animals on it, the soundscape has a larger low-frequency component. So this was a study that Simon and I did together in Hawaii, and part of what was interesting about 
this paper is that we were looking for something quite different when we originally collected our data. We were doing two parallel studies of the coral reef ecology throughout the whole Hawaiian island chain and the acoustics of hermit crabs, which was what Simon was looking at. But what we found when we put those data sets together is, first of all, we reiterated that coral reefs are very, very loud, noisy places. But we also saw that the reefs around the different islands had quite different acoustic signatures. And when we started applying different statistics to the data, we realized that those acoustic signatures told us quite a bit about the reef, whether it was a relatively pristine area, whether it was more degraded. And that's when we got our first clue that there might be a sound signature to algae because the most degraded reefs also have the most algae. And they had this curious high frequency acoustic signature that we only noticed during daylight hours. It didn't show up after dark. So Giacomo, I'll throw to you at this point. Would you like to tell me where that led? At that time, I was in Hawaii uh, working in a, a bioacoustic lab at the University of Hawaii, and I met Simon through the Acoustical Society of America, and he approached me to try to do a laboratory experiment to actually try and measure whether photosynthesis by algae could produce sound as a byproduct of the release of oxygen bubbles in the water. So obviously this was too difficult to do in the field because you're confounded by all the other noise. So you were isolating it down to one particular species of algae? Yes. We just selected Gracilaria because it's invasive to Kanioe Bay, which is where the lab was located. So it was easy to actually harvest the algae because the states was very happy to actually remove it from the natural environment. So we collected some and, yeah, we did the experiments in a tank. When we think of marine algae, when we think of seaweeds, we tend to think of quite big things. What were you dealing with on the coral reef? Gracilaria is a brown algae. If you look at it, it looks like a lot of sticks. It's almost like a, a weedy mat. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the sticks, as you call them, um, they have a very similar consistency to the stipes of Eclonia radiata, except they're much thinner and there are no leaves there's just a dense mat of this stuff. And I should mention this algae is invasive because if you try and pick some up underwater, it sort of fragments, and all of these little fragments become new algae. So uh, it's really difficult to get rid of. And Lauren, can you explain why an algae like Gracilaria is a sign of probably a slightly unhealthy reef? Coral reefs are held in a very delicate balance where the ground cover can be taken by either coral or algae. And in a healthy coral reef system, the algae is grazed on by herbivores, mostly herbivorous fish. And that gives the corals the opportunity to cover more of the ground and build up that reef structure that is so beautiful and is home to the really nice biodiversity that everybody loves to see on the coral reef and that builds that healthy ecosystem. But when you start to take the herbivores away and or add more nutrients to the water from different types of runoff, that gives the algae a competitive advantage. The algae is able to grow much faster than the coral, so it just needs a tiny edge, be it additional nutrients from farmland or from urban development, or be it removal of those herbivorous fish. And it's able to literally grow over the coral quite quickly. In the case of Gracilaria, it also is able to spread very quickly because it has that ability to fragment. Yeah, and one implication of this competitive process is that when the algae grow, overgrows over the coral, 
it kills the coral because um, we have to remember that the corals still needs light to survive. So you bought some into a tank in the lab. What did you do then, Jaco? First of all, we did a really good process of uh, sorting the algae fragments that we were using because we had to be sure that we were not introducing any other organism into the tank. And uh, we put an hydrophone in it and we exposed pretty much the algae to a cycle of uh, daylight and night time. And at the same time, we measure the oxygen concentration into the tank, which would be a function of the photosynthesis that's going on. We actually have a little sound clip. So let's listen to that sound clip, which is very subtle. And then I'm going to get you to describe what we just heard. OK, I realise this is tricky on radio, but I can confirm that near the end of that white noise was a very short, high-pitched click. Here it is again. It's really faint, but if if you're really a good listener, you would have been able to hear a little clip, a little clicking sound. The sound that algae makes is due to bubbles of oxygen that form on the body of the plant, and after the bubbles reach a certain size, the buoyancy force overcomes the surface tension force, and the bubble will separate from the body of the algae. And when it does that, the bubble is momentarily non-spherical, and that creates a, a perturbation, and uh, as the bubble becomes spherical again, it oscillates in pressure and volume, and uh, it creates a little sound source. So the bubble rings, and the bubble will ring at a very, very high frequency if it's a small bubble. That, that frequency is proportional to the radius. So uh, a famous scientist by the name of Minard uh, derived uh, through mathematics and also experiment the mathematical relationship between the radius of a bubble and the, the frequency of its ping in 1933. And uh, we use that equation to, to validate our observations. And uh, the, the little ping is proportional to the size, and uh, lots and lots of bubbles, like the one you heard, going off uh, at a very similar time to, to other bubbles would create a, a sort of cacophony that is audible even above other biological noise. So any one of those bubbles is incredibly small in terms of the sound it makes. But as you say, if you've got a whole coral reef with lots of algae on it, it's like an entire orchestra of little bubbles being released. Exactly. And we knew that the bubbles were going to be quite quiet in a small tank, just with a small amount of algae. But in the wild, you can definitely see, at least with um, a computer readout, that there is a contribution from high-frequency bubbles if you have a lot of algae in the area. The only confounding thing is that when it's when the ocean is rough, when there's a lot of wind and wave action, well, breaking waves are noisy and they produce a lot of sound through the production of bubbles too. So uh, on a rough day, you may have some confounding noise from other bubble processes, but on a calm day, you won't. So part of what was really elegant about this collaboration and this study is that it married two well-known phenomena from two different fields. Any marine biologist will happily tell you that underwater algae photosynthesize, and as a result, they produce oxygen and nitrogen, which makes bubbles that rise through the water column. And any underwater acoustician will tell you that bubbles underwater make sound, but they've typically been studied in terms of breaking waves or streams or rivers. 
And there's very little interplay between those two fields. So it wasn't until Simon and I had done this coral reef soundscapes work and noticed this correlation that we started to have this idea. And it's a very logical one. And once we started pitching it to both communities, nobody really questioned whether or not bubbles make sound and nobody really questioned whether or not algae make bubbles. It was more an issue of classifying the sound. And I think that's part of why this has grasped so much interest across a water field of ocean science. This is a wonderful observation, but what is the utility of the observation? Now, it could potentially become very useful where one day someone could put a hydrophone over the side of a boat and say, oh, this coral reef is 20% less healthy than last year exactly. based on the increase in algae. Or um, someone who runs an algal farm could put a hydrophone in the water and say, oh, this algae is not receiving enough nutrients. But until we validate the other sources and quantify things like what sort of primary productivity rate pertains to what kind of sound, we, we won't know for sure. Thanks, Simon. That was Simon Freeman, and we also heard from Lauren Freeman, and they are both with the US Navy. Giacomo Gioli is at Niwa. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ on the 29th of November, 2018. Our online home is rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. You'll find all our stories there, along with written features and useful links. While you're there, why not subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, which tells you what's on the show. It's free and it's short. Another thing you can do on the website is easily subscribe to us as a podcast. Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower is a new RNZ podcast with comedian James Nakisi. He chats with Kiwi celebrities on issues around mental health. It's funny, honest and thought-provoking. It's easy to stay in touch with us. We are on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Kia pai tora. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.